The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky thing, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID 19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Fly. So I 
simple phrase For a kiss from one to ninety-two Oh, it's been said many times, many ways Merry Christmas to you Be 
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is probably best known as the younger brother of Dallas Mavericks owner, entrepreneur, and Shark Tank star Mark Cuban. But uh, he has um, written a, a very powerful memoir, and now a new book, The Ambulance Chaser, is uh, a mystery thriller which is uh, coming out, I believe, this January from Brian Cuban, who joins me by phone. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Tom. It actually released on Tuesday. Oh, it did. It's out already. Yes. Yes. It's just that uh, we are in launch week. It's been very exciting. Oh, that's great. That's great. I, um, I, I had something in my notes. Was there an original release date in January or... That could be because uh, it, it may have been pushed up, but uh, it's been. But yeah, it ended. You know, it ended up uh, coming out on uh, Tuesday, so uh, it's all been very exciting. Does it does it bother you being referred to as Mark Cuban's little brother? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, prou- uh, I'm proud of my. I'm, I'm, Mark and I are very close, and I'm very proud of everything he's accomplished. Uh, I am, and I am, in fact, point of fact, his little brother. <laughs> well, I just, I just wonder because sometimes siblings are sensitive about that, and a lot of the press that I've seen about the book, it, it, it doesn't talk about your background with substance abuse and your memoir or the new book. It, it all starts out with Mark Cuban's brother. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, but you know, you know what, Tom? That's to be expected in marketing, right? Yeah, of uh, course. People, you, you want to hook people in and get them interested, and uh, that name has a draw. So I want people to read my book and get interested in whatever else I have to say, so I'm on board with that. Now, you're, I, I, I want to mention your, your memoir briefly before we talk about the new book. Um, the Addicted Lawyer, Tales of the Bar, Booze, Blow, and Redemption. And this is a memoir. You're, you're talking about yourself. How, Brian, how were you able to confront the things that were part of your life and share them with the world in that way? Well, it, it's all, it, was all a pro, it was all a process, Tom. I mean, you're talking about... Uh, Alcohol addiction, cocaine addiction, two trips to a psychiatric hospital, the first in, after a near-suicide attempt, uh, three failed marriages, I've been arrested. And then it all finally came to a head uh, Easter weekend 2007 when I had an alcohol uh, and drug-induced blackout that lasted two days, and I finally decided, uh, standing in the parking lot of the same psychiatric hospital for the second time, that there wouldn't be a third trip back because I'd be dead. And uh, I was also really distancing from my family, uh, and I didn't want to lose my family. And uh, why then and not another time with all the mess I'd been through? I don't know. But well, that was the beginning of the journey. W- one of the things I'm curious about was, were you functioning all that time professionally? Uh, I mean, it was a roller coaster. There were times that I was functioning and there were times that I was not. And it, it, it eventually got to the point where the knots were a lot more than the functioning. And I lost my career as a lawyer. I mean, Tom, I've done, and I don't say this is a badge of honor, but I've, I mean, I've done, I've gone to court high, high on cocaine. I've done cocaine in the courthouse, and that's the way addiction is, right? And uh, eventually, you just can't, you can't function. And I lost all my clients, and uh, it was a very difficult time. It reminds me, I can't, I can't remember the comedian that told this story about a guy going before a judge, and the judge says. Um, do you know that you've been brought in here for drinking? And the guy says, oh, great, let's get started. Exactly, exactly. And for me, <laughs> it would have been, uh, yeah, you're charged with cocaine possession? Oh, where is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although that, that isn't what I was arrested for. It was DWI. Um, the reason that I wanted to talk about that, at least for a moment, Brian, is to find out how much your personal life inspired the the life of um jason feldman the the protagonist in in your uh, thriller oh quite a bit what's the old saying in fiction uh right what you know unless it's fantasy or something right you're right what you know and uh yes jason struggles with alcohol and cocaine not that that's unusual it's a it's a fiction trope right how many uh, how many lawyer uh <laughs> you know john Starting with the verdict, right, Paul Newman, and and but uh, it's a fiction trope, but it happens to be true in my case, and I was the trope. <laughs> and so Jason struggles with drugs and alcohol. Jason's father uh, is uh, ravaged by dementia, as my father was in the years before he passed. So there are definitely aspects of Jason, but then Brian has never been accused of murder. <laughs> so uh, much of it is also fictionalized, of course. More with author Brian Cuban straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
and the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Brian Cuban straight ahead. I ask writers a lot, um, you know, what what comes first, the characters and then a story that would happen to them, or a story and then you cast the characters like it were a, a movie or a television show? Yes, the story came first for me, and it came from a reoccurring dream. Really? Uh, a, yes, a, a very dark reoccurring dream, Tom. A, I would think. A reoccurring dream. A reoccurring dream growing up in Pittsburgh, and I'm with my childhood best friend, and we're throwing bodies into a bonfire, yes. Wow. And we're, sta- we're staring at these bodies, and the eyes are open, and these bodies burning, staring back at us, these eight-ball eyes. <laughs> was, and, was Stephen King your babysitter? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, and of course, and, and then the dream would fast forward to adulthood, and I would wake up all disoriented, scared that I was about to be arrested, for these murders I committed as a child and wondering why I haven't been arrested yet. I'd wake up disoriented. So, of course, I talk about it with my therapist and I try to figure out what the dreams mean. And I'm out for a run one day and I had the dream that night. And it just suddenly occurred to me, you know, there's kind of a story here. Dead bodies coming back to the present, which is another trope. It's not new. And we have some childhood characters. And so there are characters in a story. Well, yeah, it's I decided the, I was going to write a book. It's kind of the epitome of skeletons in the closet. Exactly, which is nothing new, right? There are, how many new plots? How many plots are there in the world? There are eight or nine. So it's just about interesting characters and an interesting storyline. And and the interactions that that happen with them. I, one of the one of the cool things, uh, Brian, about your book that that I find really fascinating is this idea that. Um, Jason Feldman has a, a, a very different kind of Uber route. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I don't, I don't want to give it away, but I, you know what's funny? I, I don't want to do any spoiler alerts, I, and that's yeah. not where I was going with that, Brian. But Yeah, he does. And uh, there is actually a subculture of lawyers who drive Uber and who drive uh, Uber Eats, believe it or not. Oh, that's fascinating. The... Um, now I can't help asking because you you had this um, this memoir that was very candid, the addicted lawyer. Um, in the process of writing that book, did you get the writing bug, Brian? I've always been somebody who found who healed through writing, whether it's really? uh, journaling, blogging, and that was really my salvation. As I went into recovery, it started out as journaling, and then I got into blogging, and then I got into blogging about my story, and it was really a natural progression uh, to to writing to to uh, publishing my story. And so uh, I enjoy writing. I'm always thinking about different storylines, whether it's nonfiction or uh, the sequel to the Ambulance Chaser, and I love it. And it's really part of my identity at this point. And there is a sequel to the Ambulance Chaser coming. Absolutely. Jason certainly does not follow the typical hero's journey. And uh, there, are, there are things left open for a sequel, and I'm, look, and I'm looking forward to writing that. Um, do you expect this uh, to be a, a trilogy or a series? 
Uh, I'm expecting it to be a trilogy. Okay. Because I, I also set in place some historical aspects going back to the Russian mob and, you know, old, uh, and, you know, going back uh, decades, right? And even maybe 100 years. So I think I've left it open for some kind of trilogy. And how important is Pittsburgh to this story? There was never any doubt that this book would be written in Pittsburgh, uh, set in Pittsburgh. I've lived in Dallas over 30 years, and I love my city. I met my wife here. But uh, Pittsburgh is home home, and uh, I still bleed black and gold, right? I'm a Pirates, Steelers, <laughs> Penguins fan, and uh, my childhood and a, lo- a lot of the pain, childhood pains and angst and things in the law school, and it was all in Pittsburgh, so I wanted it to be set there. And Pittsburgh is also an underrepresented city in fiction. I wanted to represent, uh, for lack of a better term. I remember, uh, who was it, W.C. Field said, uh, um, all things considered, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. That's right. I think he wanted that as his epitaph or something. Yes. uh, And, uh, you know, it's... uh, Pittsburgh will always be my home, you know, home. Pittsburgh will. Dallas is where I live, and I love it here, but Pittsburgh will be home. It's always home. Well, Brian, um, just out of curiosity, the, the idea of doing this thriller, it sounds like the story's been floating around in your head most of your life, um, but I, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is, why a novel and not maybe a screenplay with your brother's uh, connections? You know, why not go right to right to Hollywood? Uh, Hollywood may be the next step, Tom. I mean, if the book uh, the book has done great on launch, uh, it's already be- it, before it even launched it, it sold over almost close to three thousand pre orders. Wow! So there's that's a lot. So there's yeah, for a first time fiction author, I think that's pretty good, and so. Uh, there, if there is enough interest, there will absolutely be a screenplay. But I never even that never even was in my mind. It was always going to be a uh, novel start. But when when you write, especially the fact that this story started out as a as a dream or or a result of recurring dreams that you had as a kid, um, I, I can't help wondering how visual the story is when you're, you know, when you were writing it? Do you, uh, when you're writing different elements, different scenes of the story as it unfolds, do you see it like it's a movie or? I do. I see as I write. Uh, I see it play out as a movie. I dream as movies. I dream very vividly. I remember all of my dreams. And, uh, you know, and so uh, that is kind of, how I how I write as well. I, I see it as I write it. And something else I wanted to ask you, Brian, the title, The Ambulance Chaser, isn't that usually kind of a slam against attorneys? Yeah. It's, it's a trope, right? Uh, again, you look at the, the verdict of Paul Movement. Yeah, sure, it, it's, a, it, it's a trope. Uh, and, and it's funny because I've had a few lawyers a few personal injury lawyers saying, I'm not buying this book because it's uh, the term's an insult. But you have to remember, I'm not writing for lawyers. I'm writing for, quote-unquote, the world, right? So, uh, and if you look at Jason, he uh, kind of walks that line. But isn't that kind of a way of, of telegraphing a little bit that this particular lawyer is is somewhat damaged? 
before you even crack the cover? Absolutely. I, and, I, and I want people to know there is a, a protagonist that's damaged. I mean, I think all protagonists are damaged. You just don't know what the inner struggle is and, until you open it up. And as we know, for Jason, it's uh, drugs and alcohol. How important was it because of your own experience in life, Brian, uh, to to have this particular protagonist experience some redemption? Uh, it was very important because I, I guess I could have left it as a, you know, I, I leave it as with his recovery. You know, it's not a full redemptive circle the way I see it for Jason, but I think it was very important because uh, in life, uh, when we're talking about addiction, uh, recovery and redemption is also important. Uh, Jason has a lot of uh, redeeming to do, and I didn't want him to be completely unlikable, as we don't want for uh, our protagonist. Was there part of this book that was a little bit of um, Brian Cuban sharing with people um, that there are ways to deal with their demons? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I even managed to uh, sneak uh, Narcan into the book, right? <laughs> uh, the, the, the overdose reversing spray. There was absolutely an underlying uh, message that recovery is possible, and I wanted that. Well, that's the, because of the story and the storyline, I, I would think that it would be almost impossible for someone who's lived through it not to have that thread running through it. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, I, there were just so, I didn't want, you know, one, I mean, if Jason doesn't, if, you know, you, the Jason has to be alive for the sequel. <laughs> and, and two, uh, it's, uh, I, wanted, I want it to be an underlying theme of hope, too, for, uh, for even broken people like Jason, that there is hope. But in the end, you know, Jason still has uh, some, some uh, journey, uh, has a journey to go. And, and thus the, uh, the sequel. That's right. Uh, I always, you know, I ask writers that all the time, Brian. You know, when, when you're writing a trilogy or a series, did you know when you started the book that it was going to be more than a standalone book? Or did you get to the end and go, but wait, there's more? Uh, I got, it, it evolved to that. I did not know that it was going to be a, uh, there was going to be a sequel when I started. The epilogue has, was redone quite a few times. So it, it was an evolution as I wrote. How disciplined a writer are you, Brian? Do you um, work from, from an outline and, and work so many hours a day, or, or do you get an idea and, and just binge write until you run out of ideas? That's a great question. For the uh, for the ambu for uh, the addicted lawyer, I was I was very disciplined because I know my story, I know the timeline. Uh, for the ambulance chaser, I tended to write more when I felt uh, I had something to say, and I felt that I didn't do my best writing when I was trying to force a schedule. So uh, that, it was more uh, you know kind of letting it all out when I felt uh, the creative juices. So that, it was a very different process than my memoir. Stephen and King. What was the second? 
Stephen King was asked that question, not by me, unfortunately, but um, he, uh, they asked if he wrote to a schedule or to the muse, and he said, oh, always to the muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> and yes, yes. yes uh, Stephen King on writing, I think he put that in there. But uh, as far as outlines, I, the ambulance chaser started out by the seat of my pants, and uh, writing, and it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to, so I took a step back and outlined it. Well, that's interesting because I, you know, I talk to writers, and there are some who are very fastidious about, you know, outlining, you know, chapters and scenes and, you know, very detailed, almost like writing a screenplay and then writing the novel on the bones of the screenplay. And, and then there are some for whom it's it's almost as if the story writes itself. Yeah, you know what happened? When, when I was writing by the seat of my pants, I felt like it was more I was getting much too into the outlining the backstory than writing the present tense, which in backstory is certainly important, right? Sure. But uh, I, was, I, I tended to lose perspective on where I needed to switch over, so I decided it would be much more efficient time-wise to take a step back, outline, understand where my backstory is, understand where present, because it's written in first-person present, where the present is, and do it all in an outline. And that worked out much better for me. Did you have to do much research for this book? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I went to law school at Pitt. Uh, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, but I've never practiced law in Allegheny County, which is where Pittsburgh is. And so uh, I had to do a lot of research on the intricacies of the Allegheny County court system, I had wonderful mentors that I went to law school with, uh, and uh, police officers that I uh, police officer I graduated high school with in Pittsburgh who were very helpful. Uh, there's a scene at the Cathedral of Learning. I went back to Pittsburgh and actually walked the Cathedral of Learning and uh, through it to make sure I was being accurate. Which is the Cathedral of Learning is one of the is a very iconic building in on the campus of the University of Pittsburgh. It's very tall, and. Uh, so, yes, there was a lot of research. I had to reacquaint myself with my city. That's that's interesting. Um, usually, it's there's a lot of technical stuff. Mary Higgins Clark, before she passed away, was on my show a few times, and um, she, she said she just knew nothing about technology, but yet technology would pop up in her books. And I said, how do you, how do you find out about it? She said, I got a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and another example is part of the book takes place in Mendocino, uh, Mendocino area, Fort Bragg, California, and so I had to go to Fort Bragg. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I, I did a lot of uh, research and legwork to make sure uh, that well, the book is obviously fictionalized. It would be as accurate as possible on, uh, you know, on, on, on structure and, and place, people, places, and things. And uh, another just kind of quirky example is that in in the Pittsburgh court system, Allegheny County, uh, you know what a bailiff is, right? Sure. And a bailiff in Allegheny County, they are called tip staff. Okay? So you call it the tip staff, or you're writing for the world, and most people aren't going to know what a tip staff is, but I had to be, I had to have author credibility, so I have to call it a tip staff. In Dallas County, where I live, it's called a bailiff. But then, you know, when you're being authentic to Pittsburgh or Allegheny County, um, 
are you concerned about losing other people, or or do you just say, or as the rest of us say, <laughs> bailiff? No, I decided to leave it as tip staff because it's first person present. It's only what Jason knows, right? So uh, I decided to leave it as tip staff, and I didn't think it was going to be a big enough thing to pull people out of the story because I think you can figure out from the story that it's a bailiff. Now that you're you're finished with this uh, with this book, uh, the ambulance chaser, um, and you're you're already into the sequel. Do you find yourself just all the time seeing things on television or the news, or as you're out and about among people, thinking, "Oh, that's something that might happen to Jason"? Absolutely. Uh, I use the five senses every day to uh, think about uh, possibly possibilities for the sequel. Uh, you know where it's going to take place, what uh, what the new plot's going to be, and different characters. So yes, I absolutely do that. Do Do you keep notes? Uh, a songwriter friend of mine has a little notebook that he writes down lyrics and little chord charts and things when he comes up with ideas. And he calls it his boneyard. Do you, do you have a process like that where you keep some of those ideas, or, or do you just count on your memory? No, I use the notes function, or I dictate it into my phone, iPhone. Ah, gotcha. Um, when you were writing this uh, this story, were there things that you wrote um, for the characters to do um, did the story ever take turns that you didn't expect, and did characters ever do things that you didn't really see coming until you got right up on top of it? Oh, sure, especially with the villain. Uh, I had the villain doing things, and then and you go back and forth on different things, but sure, the villain Trent uh, ended up doing some things that uh, I didn't envision him doing when the book started, and J- Jason certainly... Uh, took some turns near the end that I hadn't envisioned, especially towards the epilogue. So the characters definitely took on a life of their own to some extent, uh, as I saw them in my movie mind as things went down. Was this book at all a product of the pandemic? It was a product of the pandemic in that uh, my primary way of making a living uh, is as a public speaker related to mental health. And because of the pandemic, that shut down. And that left me with a lot of time to finish the novel. That's that's what I was getting at, Brian, is if you used that time to, you know, to finish writing, if you if you spent time writing during the shutdowns and quarantines and, and all of that. Because I've talked to a lot of writers, some who'd had who'd already had long careers that said they were just kind of shell shocked. You know, they they wish they they look back now and wish they'd been more productive and so i was curious if a lot of the writing happened um because you had that time yes uh yes that the, the uh pandemic actually was you know, uh, very instrumental and i mean i don't want to phrase it as a good thing right no but we're, we're definitely but, we're definitely in the silver lining realm here yeah but uh <laughs> Yeah, but if there's a silver lining, it absolutely uh, played an impact in finishing my novel quicker than I might have got it otherwise got it done. Well, Brian, this is um, 
this sounds like a fascinating story. And again, I don't want to give away too much because I, you know, because of spoiler alerts. But, um, but the, this is an interesting story. Can can you? I I don't want to talk too much about it because I'm afraid I'll I'll say the wrong things. But can you give a, a little synopsis that would let people know essentially what the story is about? Absolutely. It's about a uh, a Pittsburgh personal injury lawyer, Jason Feldman, finds himself accused of the murder of a high school classmate 30 years prior after her remains are discovered in a vacant lot. He is arrested. He is charged and arrested for her murder. He flees, uh, becoming a fugitive to find the one person who can prove his innocence and save his abducted son. Well, it's it's a fascinating story and uh and for what it's worth i'm a big fan of pittsburgh too thank you yes uh, (laughs) you know pittsburgh is a wonderful city it's a beautiful city and uh my mom still lives there although uh my two brothers mark and my younger brother jeff all we all live here in dallas literally walking distance to each other and so uh, i love getting back and uh it's always uh, it's always enjoyable and uh I guarantee you, while there may be other cities uh, in the book, maybe Dallas in the sequel, Pittsburgh will play a role in the sequel as well. Well, the name of the book is The Ambulance Chaser, written by Brian Cuban. Um, Mark Cuban's little brother. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay. It's Um, okay. Brian, thank you for spending time with me and and, uh, talking about your book with me and the listeners this morning. Um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website? I do. It's www.brianwithaniqcuban.com. BrianCuban.com. Well, that's an easy one, Brian. And uh, yes. thanks again, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much for having me on. It was such an honor and a pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Once again, that was uh, Brian Cuban, the author of The Ambulance Chaser, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hi, this is Tom Bodette from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season, and you've probably been told there's no room at the end. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across the desert. And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this end. We'll even leave a star out for you. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. 
What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Happy Holidays! Katie! Lucy! 
to Maya. Sammy. Lauren. Maya. Raya. Riley. Ella. Gabby. Emma. Alyssa. And the Tom Sumner Program. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The story of Little Blue Riding Hood is true. Only the color has been changed to prevent an investigation. This is the woods. My name is Wednesday. I work out a homicide. Monday, February the 2nd, 10.22 a.m. Bumped into chicken licking. Told me the sky was falling. I booked her on the 614, turned her over to the psychiatrist. Then a call came in at a 5.03. When I was on my way to the 5.03, a 6.18 came in. I added up the 6.14, the 5.03, and the 6.18. Got 1,735. I handed in my paper to the chief. He corrected it. Gave me 100%. Patted me on the head. Told me I was a good cop. 11.45 a.m. it happened. I saw a little girl in a blue hood carrying a basket. I stopped to question her. Pardon me, ma'am. Could I talk to you for just a minute, ma'am? What about? Nothing much, ma'am. Just want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. What's your name? Little Blue Riding Hood. Where are you going, ma'am? Grandma's house. Yes, ma'am. What do you got in the basket? What are you trying to say? I got something in the basket I shouldn't have? No, ma'am. I didn't say that. Then why are you asking me all these questions for? Just routine, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. May I have a look in that basket, ma'am? Be my guest. Let's see. Sawed-off shotgun. Knife, bludgeon, box of dum-dum shells. Nothing suspicious here. All right, ma'am, we may want to talk to you later, so don't leave the woods. She skipped on down the path, but she didn't know I'd seen the concealed compartment in the basket. In it, what I'd suspected all along. Goodies. My job, get to Grandma's before she did. I took a shortcut through the strawberry patch. It was sort of a strawberry shortcut. I walked up to the cottage, rang the bell. Come in, dear. Okay, Grandma, it's a raid. A raid? Why, I'm just a peace-loving old lady. You've got the wrong grandma. Yes, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. Where'd you get that bump on your head? The sky fell on me this morning. I made a note to book her on the 614 and turned her over to the psychiatrist. I tied her up, put her in the closet, then I put on the grandma suit and got into bed. Come in, ma'am. Hello, Grandma. I got the loot. What are you doing in bed? I'm feeling poorly. But, Grandma, what big ears you have. All the better to get the facts. I just want to get the facts, ma'am. But, Grandma, what a big subpoena you have in your pocket. All the better to serve you with. But, Grandma, what a big 38 police special you have pointed at me. All the better to take you in. You're under arrest. You and your Grandma are operating a goodies ring. A cop. I should have known. Known what, ma'am? You look nothing like my Grandma. You forgot about the mustache. But I don't have a mustache. I know, but Grandma does. 
Well, I see you broke the goodies ring. How'd you get a lead on her, Joe? I just played a hunch, Frank. It was just a hunch. I played my luck. Sometimes a hunch pays off, sometimes it doesn't. I was just lucky. I just played a hunch, Frank. What you're trying to say, Joe, is you just played a hunch. A lucky guess. Sometimes a hunch pays off, sometimes it doesn't. You just played a hunch. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Joe? Yeah. I just played a hunch. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
dear to us They gather near to us Once more Through the years We all will be together Should the Lord allow Hang a shining star Upon the highest bound Have yourself A merry little Christmas it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all my guests, especially this last hour, Brian Cuban, author of uh, The Ambulance Chaser, and Mark Cuban's little brother, and he didn't even mind me saying that. And uh, earlier in the show, very fascinating conversation with somebody who was right there at the beginning and throughout Operation Warp Speed, which celebrates an anniversary next year. Paul Mango has written a book about his experiences called Warp Speed, Inside the Operation That Beat COVID, The Critics, and the Odds, which is due out in March of 2022. And we started out with uh, one of our sponsors, uh, Jim Milanowski from the Genesee Health Plan, talking about their event going on this afternoon from 3.30 to 5.30, it's a flu drive through vaccine. You can get COVID vaccines, boosters, and flu shots. And uh, that's at the uh, Genesee Health offices on uh, Linden Road. Anyway, there's Smoking George tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back Monday with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.